to introduce Sophie and David Lapjost, who lived, as they said, this past year in Nazareth in the Lower Galilee, volunteering with Mennonite Mission Network for the Nazareth Trust. Um, This continues a long association of Mennonite Mission Network, previously Mennonite Board of Missions, with Nazareth, including our own congregations, Nancy and Bob Martin. Um, Before going to Nazareth, they lived in Goshen, Indiana, where Sophie completed an MDiv at AMBS, and David was fundraising for Mennonite Mission Network. Um, You might be interested in knowing that Sophie compiled the Lenten and Easter resources that our congregation drew from earlier this year um, as we um, um, observed that time of the liturgical calendar. I first met Sophie as a toddler when her parents were the MCC representatives in Jerusalem and were our bosses on our first MCC assignment, and it's great to know that Sophie's continuing her family's tradition of Um, accompanying the church, including in Palestine, in its witness for peace and reconciliation. Um, So let's please join together in praying for Sophie and David as they prepare to share share with us about their time. And please join us for the second hour um, if you're interested in hearing more about their work um, in Palestine, Israel, and if you have any questions for them. Let us pray. Dear Lord, thank you for the work and witness of Sophie and David, and especially for their accompaniment this past year of the church in Nazareth, a church that has been testifying to your reconciling love for nearly 2,000 years. Guide their hearts as they share with us this morning, and open our hearts and our ears to hear your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you all so much for receiving us today. We've looked forward to sharing with you. Sophie and I lived this last year in Nazareth, where we volunteered in several ways for the Nazareth Trust. We both felt drawn there through past connections. Sophie was born and lived about six years in Israel-Palestine as her parents served there with Mission Network and then MCC for seven years. My great-aunts from Conestoga Mennonite served in Hebron for 37 and a half years, running an orphanage and school. As Sophie completed seminary last year, we knew we wanted to live overseas long-term, but we were unsure where we felt drawn to go. While traveling for my last job at Mennonite Mission Network, I stayed several times with Nancy and Bob Martin, who told me all about Nazareth and gave us the idea and the strong encouragement to look into the Nazareth Project. We quickly identified this as a wonderful potential partner, and then we had a grand year, and we're so grateful to the Martins for this direction and for their own service there, which was lovingly remembered by many people that we met during our time. We've returned to the U.S. in time for this Pentecost season. In Acts 2, we read that at Pentecost, a crowd exclaimed, amazed, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? This exclamation was actually familiar to Sophie and I due to a strange choice of words on the Nazareth Village website, which claimed until recently that our experienced local guides will lead you. We are often greeted with amusement by the mainly Israeli Jewish tour leaders. Upon handing their tour groups to me, the leaders would often joke, so David will be our local guide today? No, I would have to say I'm not a Galilean, but at least I can confirm when occasionally pressed that yes, my name is actually David. 
At the Nazareth village, though, we get the sense that the story of Pentecost is continuing. In a year, the village gives tours in 22 languages. While a modest majority of the guests are from the global north, from the U.S. or Scandinavia, the low countries, many are from the global south, or Indian, or Brazilian, or Guatemalan. The almost 12,000 guests that Sophie and I led in English and Spanish came from many different churches, from Baptists to Holdeman Mennonites from Ireland to non-denominational churches to people from the 1900-year-old Syriac Church of India. 2,000 years ago, Jewish reformers speaking many tongues left Jerusalem. Today, at the village, a stream of people speaking many tongues comes back. At the village, we blend history, archaeological excavations, architectural replicas, scripture, and commentary on present-day Nazareth and its people, and present this to guests on our guided tour. In addition to leading guests on tours at the village, I coordinated weekly devotionals and chapels for the international volunteers with whom we worked and visited patients at the Nazareth Hospital with a team of local chaplains. This provided exciting chances to interact with patients as well as our fellow volunteers and friends on a spiritual level. After graduating last spring from AMBS with an MDiv in pastoral ministry, it was great to explore these new forms and levels of ministry work in an unfamiliar setting. In all of these ministries, we were privileged to see God at work and to hear the ways from others that they experienced the Spirit at work in the world. We want to tell you about how our colleagues, patients, fellow churchgoers, and village guests spoke to us not only with words but with languages of faith. These people helped us to see new ways of encountering God, sensing the Spirit, and following Jesus. Testimony, pilgrimage, reverent speech, patient persistence, liturgy, and literalism were some languages for sharing faith that we heard. We hope to find ways to continue noticing these in the future, and we hope you can too. We'll begin with testimony. We were honored this year to hear many talk about their lives of faith and how they encountered Jesus. A major theme at the hospital this year was forgiveness. I appreciated hearing comments from our spiritual director on what forgiveness can mean in the Arab cultural context, particularly in relation to issues of land and peoplehood, but also religion. One striking example of testimony that David and I heard already in our first week in Nazareth came from one of my fellow chaplains, Simone, a man from the nearby village of Rainey. The week before we arrived, Simone's younger cousin, Jonathan, was brutally stabbed near his home and later died in the Nazareth hospital. Jonathan was the only child of parents who had waited years for him to come. Yet after his death, they quickly became known to the surprise of many in the area for their choice to forgive his murderers. I heard this story again the first week we arrived in Nazareth and several times in the over the year, but each time I was amazed to hear how often the story that Simone shares with the people he meets provides him with a chance to connect with people in a new way, especially in the hospital. In that cultural context, retributive justice is still quite common, and so Simone is regularly asked by patients, often Muslims, how can this kind of forgiveness be possible? This question provides him with a clear opening for sharing the gospel and Jesus' message of forgiveness. Of course, parts of this story might sound familiar to those in our Mennonite community who know of Michael Sharp's murder in 2017 or of the forgiveness of Amish parents whose children were killed at the Nickel Mine School shooting in 2006. Not only do these and Jonathan's parents' stories serve as testimony to the human capacity to forgive evils, 
but most importantly, they serve as testimony to the redeeming work of Christ throughout the world. For many people, including us, travel to the Holy Land offers a chance to reflect on what, has, what God has done and is doing in a new place and consider how that might inform our own lives. This is pilgrimage. The tradition of going somewhere to understand these things better tends to be far from modern Western minds. Many of those of us who can travel often for work, to visit family, for vacation. Traveling to deepen our faith is less usual. We had the privilege of seeing many people from all over the world and their excitement as they encountered this part of the world where the Christian faith had begun. For people from a wide range of Christian and, of course, Muslim and Jewish backgrounds, a visit to the Holy Land is a period of prayer, intense and continuous learning, and reflection. It's amazing to see people prostrated on and kissing a stone in the Holy Sepulcher, or to hear dozens of pilgrims singing as they walk up the Via Dolorosa, the route of Jesus' passion. Once, when I was trying to enter the West Bank during Ramadan, I was crushed for about two and a half hours in a crowd of Palestinian worshipers. They had come in to pray at the Al-Aqsa Mosque, the main Muslim holy site in the land. Return entry to Bethlehem for them was an ordeal, a massive crowd of people squeezing together and shoving each other to force their way through one or two revolving turnstiles. The chance to pray at their mosque was worth a lot to them. It was not uncommon to see people experiencing a kind of pilgrim euphoria at the Nazareth village, too. Many of our visitors prayed, spoke, and worshipped in a different way than they did at home. Seeing excavated terraces where Jesus walked and a wine press where he likely treaded grapes, the visitors are often visibly moved, emotionally and spiritually. The different speech patterns in Nazareth impressed and formed us, particularly the sincerity of reverent speech. In our U.S. context, it's very normal to hear people say things like, Oh my God, Oh Lord, or Lord have mercy, as part of our daily language. In this cultural setting, this language is rarely used to literally remind us of God, and it's also often negative. In Nazareth, people also use these same phrases, but much more often such language in Arabic is intentionally used to evoke thoughts and references to God. When asking a Muslim how they are, one might get the response, Alhamdulillah, Thanks be to, or praise be to God. In the same way a Christian might respond to Nushkurala, thanks be to God. In this Arab setting, these phrases are used and understood as a reference to the person's well-being coming from God. When you want to say that you hope something will come true or will go well, both Christians and Muslims say, inshallah, God willing. Again, these phrases are literal faith language used many times a day with the effect of keeping the speaker and the one spoken to grounded in their human experience as those worshiping the one who is all in all. Another aspect of daily reverent speech relates to the public communal celebrations of the Christian year. In many ways, Israeli society is secular, primarily in the Jewish spheres, but increasingly in the Christian and Muslim Arab spheres as well. However, this hasn't stopped either faith from continuing to celebrate their most sacred yearly events. It was interesting and exciting for us to join in the Christmas and Holy Week or Easter celebrations in Nazareth. Both were exciting, but I was especially blown away by how often huge crowds of people gather in public spaces, on the main roads of Nazareth at Christmas, on the roads outside the churches at Easter, to celebrate together on these occasions. I became so much more aware of what it means to have grown up in a country where church and state are mostly separated. 
Even singing Christmas carols in the three Nazareth hospitals wasn't something that required special permission or visitor name tags. The hospitals are all Christian, but Christians and Muslims alike joined us in song that evening. Like the daily Muslim calls to prayer, this open proclamation of faith was not uncomfortable, even for those who have different beliefs. Over the last several years in Goshen, we enjoyed visits with Evelyn, Eleanor, and Alan Kreider, stalwarts of the Goshen Mennonite community. We appreciated Alan's book, The Patient Ferment of the Early Church, which presents an inspiring perspective on how the church took root and grew despite a lack of power or a cultural foundation in most of the Roman Empire. Alan cites patience as a key part of the story and the willingness to endure decades of stagnation, decline, even persecution for sake of the gospel. The patience and persistence of Palestinians is extraordinary. Existence is resistance, read signs in Bethlehem and Hebron. Seventy years into the occupation, prospects for a better life for Palestinians remain bleaker than ever. International support for the occupation is strong. Both nonviolent Palestinian resistance and the occupation's critics in the West are cynically silenced and dismissed in the media as motivated by anti-Semitism. Most of the Arab world now actively works with Netanyahu, the prime minister of Israel, and even a surge of Palestinian advocacy in the West would be less effective with the region lining up behind his policies. In this context, hope is irrational, and to work toward justice is to work for something we may well not see at all in our lifetimes. And yet, so many Palestinians show this spirit of patient ferment. We think of the only Gazan that we met during our time there, a Christian at a bus stop in Nazareth who works at the Baptist Hospital in Gaza. In better times, he met and married a woman from Nazareth. Now he's only allowed to see her and their two daughters for one or two months annually. We think of longtime friends of the Lapp family, a family from Bethlehem with a Palestinian father and American mother. The mother was never allowed in her roughly 25 years there uh, to have long-term residency, just given year-by-year visas, and she was finally expelled last fall. Only after enormous effort and expenditure of about $20,000 to the Israeli Interior Ministry and international diplomatic intervention was she allowed to temporarily return two days before her son's wedding in Bethlehem last month. We think of taxi drivers and shopkeepers who eagerly told us their family stories, hoping they could get Americans to listen, while also showing us hospitality, despite all our country has done. The way people continue to show faith and to act out of love seems to us to be a sign of God at work and a sign of deep faith. Liturgical experiences were something that David and I looked forward to when we moved to Nazareth, especially since we both grew up in Mennonite churches and communities. While most of the other volunteers attended the local Evangelical Baptist Church, we chose to regularly attend the local Maronite Catholic Church. The Maronite Church is an Eastern Rite Catholic Church, which began around 400 CE with St. Maron and only became Catholic in the 1600s. This means the church has retained much of their earlier, more orthodox rites and traditions, such as iconography. The image you see on this um, wall here is one of the stained glass windows at the Maronite Church, all of which depicts stories from the New Testament. Although we attended the Maronite Church regularly, I also especially enjoyed several visits to the Greek Orthodox Church across town, which provided a completely different experience of liturgical worship and tradition within the same Arab society and culture. One of my experiences of liturgical language in the hospital included the practice of crossing oneself before or after prayer. 
because the Christian community in Nazareth is primarily Catholic, before praying with a patient that we knew to be a believer, the local chaplains would often cross themselves to open their prayer or close it. Although all the chaplains are Protestant, many of them engage with patients in this way to be hospitable to their needs in a vulnerable time. Another experience of liturgical language that I was aware of during our time in Nazareth is the language of religious art. The liturgical churches are historically those most prone to having religious art in their sanctuary, in worship, and in home life. In Nazareth, these churches include the Greek Orthodox, Roman Catholic, Melkite Catholic, and Maronite Catholic churches. For historical reasons, the Melkite, like the Maronite church, retains the iconography tradition that the Roman Catholics dropped early on. In these and the other major churches in Nazareth and elsewhere around the country, we got to see how religious art is used and taken very seriously as part of what it means to proclaim the Christian message in the Holy Land with or without words. People in Nazareth read the Bible more literally than most of our Western peers, and we valued encountering this literalism. Coming from an intellectual Christian community, it refreshed me to see a context in which people often engage biblical stories as recountings of real events. This does not mean that we or most of the people around us believe that everything recounted in the Bible happened literally as described. But among our Christian sisters and brothers there, we sensed a deep belief that the Gospels are more or less accurate accounts. This was refreshing, as I think that without a communal belief that the Gospels tell a more or less true story, Christian faith is unlikely to be passed on through generations or to neighbors. This feeling of the reality of the Bible was not limited to Christians. For people of Abrahamic faiths and even secular people, a certain measure of literalism is intuitive. Biblical stories are taught through the public education system as national history, through faith-based institutions, and are heard in the community as folk stories. As Sophie has speculated in the past, it may be easier to believe these things when you live in the place where they happened. Residents of Nazareth took us to their roofs on many occasions to point out villages where events in Jesus' life took place or told us about what cliff they thought Jesus might have been taken to to be thrown off in Luke 4. For me, one person especially spoke this faith language, Christine Farah, our supervisor. Christine was educated as a human rights lawyer in Wales, she came from the UK, and entirely shares our perspective on Israel-Palestine and politics in general. She is also, also a devout Christian. She emphatically asks visiting groups to pray for Nazareth, and she prayed with us through some of the more difficult times with my father's acute myeloid leukemia and health back home. Like many in Nazareth, Christine talks about Jesus' life growing up there, not as a possibility, but as an event. Like Jesus himself, Christine talks about the devil as a reality, not as a concept, but as a real being set against God. We are looking forward to what comes next. During our time in Israel and Palestine, we felt deeply affirmed in our call to ministry, and we are aware that we want to keep working at intersections with the Middle East. At this time, it's probably not possible to secure volunteer visas for long-term service in Israel or Palestine. Visas only last a year, and certainly we could not know until a few weeks before the new year began if that was going to be, if that was going to happen. We would very much like to return to Nazareth, both for short-term visits and possibly another period of long-term service when we would be more likely to get a long-term visa. But for now, we will instead be transferring to begin a new term of service with Mennonite Mission Network in a small village in southwest Germany. In this setting, David will work with the German Mennonite Peace Committee, a counterpart to Christian peacemaker teams, and I will be working in a pastoral role with the local Mennonite congregation. 
We look forward to this new opportunity and are also excited to explore continual interactions with Middle Easterners living in Germany as refugees and citizens in the nearby area. As we continue to share about our work in Nazareth and look toward this new assignment, we are especially grateful for the many kinds of people and communities who made this past year such a wonderful experience for us. Thank you for the way your congregation has supported Mennonite Mission Network and the Nazareth Trust, both causes dear to our hearts. Such support makes it possible for people like ourselves to work there alongside the many amazing local staff and volunteers to further the work of the kingdom of God and these many languages with which the Spirit gifts us. Thank you.